Freedom in Captivity podcast, a podcast about abolitionist organizing and visions in Maine. My name is Catherine Besteman, and I'm the host of the podcast. Today's episode is about youth-led efforts to end youth incarceration in Maine. We are joined by Ali Ali, an Ethiopian-American activist who is artistic director with Maine Inside Out, advocacy director with Maine Youth Justice, an opportunity scholar at USM, and a member of Portland's Racial Equity Steering Committee. As a formerly incarcerated young man, Mr. Ali organizes on behalf of Maine's most vulnerable populations. Mr. Ali will be the moderator of today's episode, brought to you by Freedom in Captivity, the Portland Media Center, with the help of sound engineer Josh Riddle and musician Samuel James. Welcome, Ali, and thanks so much for taking over this podcast episode. Thank you, Catherine, for inviting me um, to be part of this today. Um, so first off, I want to thank everyone uh, that's tuning in to this podcast. Um, today we'll be speaking more on juvenile justice, uh, the issues that's happening here in Maine, uh, directly um, south, uh, southern Maine. Um, I'm going to start off by saying I'm 25 years old. I'm previously incarcerated in the juvenile facility. Um, I actually work with uh, Maine Youth Justice right now as the advocacy director uh, in trying to close down the juvenile facility. We are a campaign that, um, that's uh, hoping to reinvest the money back from, from Long Creek, with this, which, which is the juvenile facility here, back to communities that need it most. Um, and today, our guest that will be speaking on behalf of this um, particular issue and uh, kind of telling us about their lives is going to be um, Aiden Abdi, part of Maine Youth Justice, and Sky Goslin. Uh, I'm gonna invite. Uh, I'm gonna invite Aiden to first uh, introduce himself, and then I'm gonna go into Sky thereafter. How you doing, Aiden? How you doing, Ali? Thank you for having me here. Um, I'm Aiden, currently located in Lewiston, Maine. I'm a youth organizer for Maine Youth Justice, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much, Aiden. Um, and uh, we're gonna pass that over to Sky. Sky, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Um, thank you guys for having me here to talk about this um, issue and is going on in Maine and I guess America and all around the world right now. Um, so my name is Sky Gosselin. I'm 22 years old and I am a community organizer for Maine Youth Justice and I also run the political education team on this and I'll pass it on over back to you, Ali. Awesome. Thank you so much, both of you guys. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, you know, I'm gonna actually just going to start off with how, what brought you guys to the work? And like, what, what, um, what were your life experiences that brought you guys to the work? I'll start off with Sky. Um, yeah, so I guess um, when I was younger, I had a little bit of like a troubled upbringing, I guess. I got in trouble with the system. And when I first got encountered with the system, I was 12 years old. Um, so my first experience it was in middle school, around seventh grade. I um, was dealing with these folks, and um, they ended up going to the principal, and they called down the school resource officer. Um, so with the school resource officer being there, it made it re like really easy for what happened to me. Um, they um, made me miss my bus, and my mom is a nurse, was a nurse at the time, working all the way in New Hampshire and couldn't pick me up. Um, so I had to walk home at that point and they wouldn't let me because the other girl walked home. Um, so they ended up 
charging me with threatening of this girl because there's three against one. And I got arrested in front of my whole school um, and put in the back of a cop car. And that was my first experience. So I um, had people chasing a cop car. I got to the police station and I got my first mugshot, my fingerprint. So my first name was put legally into the system at 12 at that time. And then after that, I came back to school and kids' parents wouldn't let me see them anymore. And I just had this target on my back. So it kind of just led me like down this path a little bit. It was just like, because the only people I could hang out with was other people experiencing the same thing at the time. So, um, yeah, I got in trouble and I got like my first time going to Long Creek, which is the juvenile prison here in Maine. Um was because I skipped school. And like, so I was telling my counselor these things and I was just like, it sounds like a story. Like I'm making these things up, but it's actually real life and real time about these like stupid things that happened when I was a kid, but it was like real for me at the time. And it was super traumatic and it still is. Like I still deal with it to this day. Um, but I wanted to get into this line of work because what happened to me wasn't fair. And like I said, it was it's traumatic. And it's like, like I said, I'm still dealing with it. And it shouldn't be happening to any other kids either. Long Creek, whether it's called a development center or not, it's a prison. That's what it is at the end of the day. And kids, no prison is no place for people, let alone children. And this prison has no age limit on anything either. You can go as like young as you get in trouble for to as old as 21 and then whatever it just sets you up for failure and we have no program here either so that's just a little bit like why i chose to get into this work yeah i know and thank you so much for explaining it from like that's that's extremely deep because like you said at age 12 that you you had that can can you can you explain a little bit more of how you felt around that time um at age 12 um yeah i mean i was feeling very lost like that was my first time ever getting in trouble. So I've never been in trouble before that. And I I was just sticking up for myself because I was bullied a lot as a kid. And then when he put me in the handcuffs, I was just crying. And I was just like, felt so alone. And the people that I was supposed to protect me, the school that you looked up to, like, this is a safe place that is just like an everyday place for kids. Like, you go there, it's normalized. Like, you go there, you get your work done, you come home at the end of the day, and you're supposed to have good experiences. Like, oh, I learned my ABCs, I learned math today. But that day I got put in handcuffs in the back of a cop car while people were chasing me. And that's what I went home with at the end of the day. And that also made my mom look at me differently as well. So that started a whole relationship in that way, too. So it just, it just wasn't a good experience. Awesome. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of the school issues so I'm seeing like a, a bridge from the school to prison pipeline um, family issues that that, that that came out of this uh, friends friends kind of disconnected um, so it was like it was a whole ballpark of issues that just came out of um, uh, the you know as the policing as we would say is that is that where you're coming from yep uh, yeah everything I think what starts how it kind of works is it starts one thing and I always like have this like description of a snowball and go down to avalanche it just is like one thing and then it picks up another thing 
And then it just adds and adds and adds until it's just like this huge thing that's just so uncontrollable. And that's how you start in the school prison pipeline. Well, thank you so much for that, um, Sky. We're going to go over to Aiden. Aiden, how um, would you like to explain more on what brought you to the work and what, what affected you um, while, while you were younger uh, to, to, to bring you to the work? Um, I would have to say, yes, um, I would definitely have to say that being incarcerated was the first thing, you know what I mean? That big first thing that ever happened to me that people ever took serious, you could say, um, um, for me, it started when I was 15. I mean, I was picked out of a photo lineup um, throughout my, my classmates, um, people that I, my peers that I went to school with because of assault that happened with a, a kid that went to the school. And um, these parents, you know, that that their son, the, son, the kid that was assaulted, his parents, you know, they were like very... Um, very motivated to get down to the answers of who did this to their son and why this happened to their kid. Um, I mean, I'm just going to school and I get called into the office and I'm being told that I was picked out of a photo lineup that um, my name has come up in many conversations that I assaulted a kid and due to that came expulsion. You know, I got expelled and I needed to find somewhere else to go to school. Um, I couldn't go to school um, throughout the whole Lewiston and Auburn area because um, at first what I had to do was I had to go to the Dingley building to kind of um, clear my name and to kind of explain and I had to be evaluated to kind of see if I was okay to come back to school. Um, I had to be evaluated to see what kind of person I was in general. Um, for me as a kid, I was very quiet. I didn't, I didn't talk much. I mean, I had a lot of friends, but we talked outside of school. We never communicated within school. When I went to school, it was all about school. Um, and due to that expulsion, I had to kind of make up my time. I had to, to do something with myself. I had to say, find a job. I had to find um, the other schools to go to. My, my family got no vehicles. We don't have, you know, someone with license. I can't just be driven everywhere to go to school. So after that, I just went straight to, you know, worrying about making money myself and going out there and you know, it came down to stealing. It came down to, um, you name it, whatever it was to help me make a dollar or two. I was, I was doing it, and um, that led to me being um, put in Long Creek to where my parents was like, um, "We don't know what to do with this kid. Um, he needs to sit down. Um, we don't know what's going on with him. There's a bunch of changes happening with him." And this is me just growing up. I have all this time of my hands. Um, I don't have school. And I don't want to just be sitting in my house, not doing anything. So that led to me being taken to Long Creek until my parents well, felt like it was okay to, I guess, come home. And it's not like it was their fault. I mean, I understood where it was coming from. It was like they needed a break. You know, they needed me to come home. They needed me to go to school. They needed me to put things that was number one in, in front. But um, as I was in Long Creek, I was seeing all... Um, all of my friends, you know, these are kids that I grew, grew up with that are doing at least three to two years to four years, you know, for say robberies, for saying assault, you name it. I was in there with these kids. And being in there with these kids, I don't know if it's crazy, but I, I would say I felt like, you know, this is nothing new. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was 
incarcerated. I didn't think I was in jail. It's just that I felt like the situation I was in, I was in, and I was going to handle it, whatever came with it. Um, and what came with that was, you know, um, um, being in, on house arrest, say, for um, a month, and then being on probation for a year. And as a kid, you don't really know these things. You don't know what a probation is. You don't know what house arrest is. You're like, what do these people know? You know, I could just leave my house. It's not like they're going to know. Um, that led to me being in there for a month, you know, doing my probation and my house arrest. Instead of being home, do, um, staying home, I was in house arrest at Long Creek until my house arrest was up. And so when my house arrest was up, I came home and I started doing this thing on the outside, which is called Man Inside Out. And then I learned this Man Inside Out thing when I was in Long Creek. And I, I learned this to see my friends doing it. Um, I saw them bring food inside jails that, that weren't being fed. You know, people weren't getting pizza, people weren't getting breadsticks. Um, and then their thoughts, you know, that was not something that we were being fed in Long Creek. And just the idea of that, people were like, I mean, why the hell not go to eat some pizza? So doing that, I met some beautiful people, like um, expressing yourself through artwork and all these other kind of things. It made me, it made me like, it opened the door for me and I saw people doing something that actually mattered, that actually were helping kids that were going through something. I didn't know that there were those people existed to where they took that extra step. Instead of um, waiting till you get out, they came inside and they took care of you from the inside until you got out. And then when I saw that from the outside, you know, I came out and I felt like, oh, I don't know what these people are not like they're going to follow me here. Well, they got in contact with me and they wanted to do the same work that we were doing inside on the outside. And for me, I was like, why not? You know, that's great to make some, do something different in the community. And people follow me. So I was like, if I could just use that tool and have people follow me into um, spaces like this, I mean, what's more to come than just change? You know, and seeing your identities, like how, um, you know, being being a woman, a young woman in this uh, in this male supremacist uh, state and being a, a black man, a Muslim man, an immigrant man um, in, in, in these in, in these type of predicaments. Um, how did how did that like affect you? And how did it like give you a vision of how you look look to the world? Um, and also like and 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 what what did you need? You know, was before you got incarcerated. Anybody can answer. Um, I'll go. I'll go. Me, I would say being a Muslim and being a black and um, just being who I was. I would say all I want. I mean, what I would have wanted was for somebody to listen. You know, instead of um. Trying to figure out what's wrong with me. How about you ask me directly, like, yo, what do you need? And it doesn't matter what I say I need. It should be given to me because it's like, why are you asking me what I need if you're not going to give it to me? Um, why am I being evaluated if there's, if I'm saying literally there's something wrong with me? Um, and the other thing is, you know, I get so, I, I would say, profiled because I'm bigger than my age. I look older than my age. It's just like, I'm be, you know, I'm being profiled. I didn't have to be picked out of a lineup by my peers to figure out if something bad happened. You could have came and asked me, you know, oh, like, this situation is going on, Aiden. What do you think happened? Instead of just bringing me into the office and just saying, yo, you're expelled because you've got multiple kids saying that this is what you did. And that's about it. I felt like I was profiled. I felt like I was given a, uh, a fair chance. And I felt like my freedom or my quietness was abused. 
And Sky, how do you how did you feel in your identity um, going through these issues? I mean, so what I needed like before incarceration, I guess, like was somebody, I, like it was saying, just like somebody to listen to, like hear the cry for help. I guess just things as well, you know, like they take us to counseling, but like, do they really intend for us to get better, or they just intend to like put a label on why we're messing up so they wouldn't put the blame on themselves? And like with the school, there is no help. Like as soon as like you're targeted as someone who does bad things or like a criminal or whatever it is then they automatically lose interest in you and there's no help for you in the schooling system so you're just kind of left alone and like what I found out like was like there's so many different things so many different people surrounding you but they're not helping you they're not there for your interest like you're just another label in the book and it's like you're not really being identified as your own person yeah, so I guess, like, what I would have needed is just somebody, like, when we got to, like, we got to Maine and Set Out, that's when they actually, like, appreciated our individuality and talked with us and asked us our story and sat down and really cared and listened. And that's the difference between, like, what happened and how we got in the system and why we, like, did the things we did because we just wanted somebody to listen to us. And would you guys say, like, this is more because of like you, were you guys you said you were picking you know someone had to pick you out Aiden is this more of like surveillance type of issue is this what's, what's going on in the communities that's that's causing these issues to to arise or is it or are they are these kids or are you guys um with other kids that are just bad is it the system what's what's going on with um with that I would say it's the old like it's the old school thinking like um that thinking of you already know like I'm in my position because of what I know and and what I do at it. Say if there's a police, a school resource officer, or a principal, or a teacher, it's like the moment you walk into school or the moment you get off the bus, I'm not saying like, it doesn't matter if the kids are even bad. You know, they're coming to school, that's 100%, that's like, okay, A plus, because they, they want to come to school. You know, they're coming to school, but it's like the teachers or the school resource officers or whoever is the person that's dealing with it's like they already know it's like yo I've, I've, I've done this before you know you don't have to tell me what I'm doing like I know what kind of person you are because I see the people you're with or I see um, the way you move or the way you act it's just I already know that you feel you know you check the boxes because like, I don't need to go back and do my homework to figure out what kind of person you are and it's also just the community based of where you're from you know where you're from they they take advantage of the education of, say, my parents. You know, sometimes the message is not sent 100% completely. Uh, interpreter is not saying exactly 100% of what the principal or teacher is saying. Um, sometimes even the, co the connection of a parent and a, a child is, is hard because of the rift that um, the principal or the police officer has created within the, um, the relationship because now it's like, you're making me look bad, and you're, you know, you're my son, you're my, you're my kid, you're this for me, and you're making me look bad. You're making me look like I'm not a good parent. And then that, that rift right there is like, that, that shouldn't have to be anything, like, that shouldn't have to do with anything that has to do with what's going on with school or what's going on with me. I feel like they just don't have no total understanding, and it's just like they don't want to understand where you're from or 
how you're coming or you're the person you are. And there's been a lot of this, the history of my school, you know, I, I just don't talk. I feel like once you know me as something, you're not going to change your mind. You already know me as that person. Hi, would you like to chime in on that one? Well, you asked the question again. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, more on like the suspicion area, like how uh, the surveillance in the communities um, and, and how we look at punishment as a, as a, as a you know, I guess a goal for, for people who commit crimes. Yeah, um, I think when I think of like surveillance in the community, I think of like the police and certain communities that they go and surveillance even more. You know, I think they spend a lot, like, I guess for me, like, my personal experience is, like, growing up in Bedford, um, it's, it's a small town, so when you kind of, like, have one police encounter, they know you, and that's why, like, my group of friends got targeted, and all of us didn't come for much money, so we all hung out in this, like, one street that was known to be poor, that known to have, like, drugs and things like that on the street, but, um, they made it a fact that, like, every time we were walking with each other, they would always pull us over. And, like, if we were walking with five or more of us, they would say, like, gang activity and, you know, write it. Like, oh, it's a warning. Like, they thought they were, like, something powerful and giving us a break because it's a warning because they decided to pull over. It's, that is, like, it's, it's just the culture of America in itself, how we're built on punishment. Like, the whole system, where policing comes from, where prison comes from, is on punishment sort of like idealism of like from slavery and then to the you know like with the 13th amendment and then like it, the whole prison industrial system kept growing in that way and then policing and surveillance kept getting like with the war on drugs and then like it just kept growing into this like thing and now um like even with everything going on in america right now civilians or whatever can't videotape cops anymore because they don't want to be held accountable and but like I think the whole like people are using I don't know I think I'm like rambling on with like a bunch of different subjects right now but I guess like that's where I would go on when I think of like surveillance just like starting with the police and like in the communities. <laughs> I think I can relate um I grew up also in um the hood as they would call it you know and communities communities that were red in line and divided and um and, you know, being in a black body growing up as a, as a youth and a child, you notice a lot of the, 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 same, the same issues because the enemies are the scary people that are out there coming for you are the people that are in these, um, these militant type of vehicles and have, have, have the uniforms on and whatnot. And in the life of a youth that's, that's growing up in these type of communities, it's like, you know, you're having parental issues with your parents, a family, a family issues, the house is really tight. Um, you know, you, 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 there's probably generational trauma that's, that's coming from it. And then you step out the house and you see these type of vehicles. Um, you know, as you're walking to school, you're being followed, you know, as you said, gang activity, um, whether with the, when the police were, were, were calling a group of, uh, of individuals that are, you know, hanging out together. Um, and then going to school and having the same, like, you're not being we're not able to focus the same way other kids are focusing because you have a lot of other issues and that's that's that becomes a behavioral consequence um then the, then you said the school police thing and then you have that school policing issue and that connects to the incarcerate the you know the, the arresting and then the incarceration and how aiden was talking about 
I'm seeing his own friends. So it's just like, oh, is this where I'm meant to be? So is it, so what we're seeing in this, it's like, it's a constant, you know, life cycle of individuals that are growing up in this community that, that, that have this, this, this bound of growing up and ending up in these, in these type of facilities, in these, in these uh, predicaments. And I love how you both explained it from both of your um, uh, lives because you, you both live in different areas. You know, one, you guys, you live in uh, one city and another person lives in another city and you guys are, have, you know, two completely different identities, but at the same time are, are brought to the same type of experiences. And that, that really, that's what's making me want to ask you guys a little bit more on, um, on the work that you guys are doing now. And, uh, when it comes to juvenile justice, when it comes to incarceration, when it comes to Long Creek, uh, youth development center, um, would you guys like to jump into, um, anything that you guys are currently doing or any, anything, how, how the work has been, has changed, uh, over time? Um, yeah, I can go first. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been interesting, I guess. I was coming from like Maine Inside Out and starting with this work, we were doing plays like um, of all these different subjects, like racism, poverty, all homelessness, all these different things. And like, it was like kind of slow and we got to see like that kind of field in the, in that way. But then we got to make Maine New Justice um, and be able to be a part of a team that like, like a campaign that focuses on like the full closure of Long Creek and to like reallocate the funds into the community. So it's like then it went from like super slow to like <laughs> supersonic speed, I feel like just like with this last year um, with COVID and everything going on, we had to really figure out a way to like get to virtually. Um, but we're working on like, we've been working with like the legislation We've called on the governor to close Long Creek. We've called on the Department of Corrections to like shut down Long Creek. And so we've been working a lot in the community in that way. And also we organize people from the community and our campaign is youth led too. So like, I think that's probably like the most important part of it is like all the staff right now are under the age of 26. So we're a young staff as well. And we have like a youth steering committee where any decisions that we make in our campaign is brought to them and they're the ones actually making the decisions. We're just like the ones kind of handling it and it goes with them. So it's really youth led. And I think that's like a beautiful thing because like when we're talking about like our childhood or our like experiences, the one thing is like we always got looked at as like we're youth and we don't know anything, but because of our experiences and the like, things that happen, we are actually the experts on what we need in the community. So we like shine a light on that. And we like have conversations like this just to open up to the public and invite them to have the conversation with us and to do the work to move forward as well. Um, but yeah, that's just some things I've been doing. <laughs> or we've been doing. Eden, what, um, you said that you were part of Maine Inside Out. And could you, and how long ago was that? Could you explain how that kind of uh, really transformed you and, and, and where you're at right now? Yeah, um, I've been a part of Minnesota for about more than four or five years. Um, I, I mean, I would say it kind of molded me into being a confident person I am today. Because what I've learned from it is that I've even taken my own kind of road to what I want to be. I guess in this type of work, and for me, I what I what I usually be around is I'm, I'm on stage. We are on stage, and we're kind of I'm playing this role. People always think it's very easy to go up and just start doing something, but 
I guess that's what I learned to do. I learned to scale a lot. I mean, I've been on stage with, say, hundreds of people watching, and there's been times where you get stuck, and then you just got to keep going and, and, and pick up where you left off. But I would say working with people, say, in Long Creek, you know, I'm writing people letters right now to the youth that are in Long Creek, um, figuring out how they're being treated during COVID. Um, even, say, communications work, um, learning to post things for um, events that are upcoming, I'm sending out invitations, um, e you know, through emails. And then um, I would say even learning how to say, wear different hats, you know, um, being an advocate. And then there's a time where you're sharing your story. And then there's a time where you're the one that's being the listener. Um, I would say being in Manny Side Out and going through all these um, performances, all these um, community events, say black block parties, um, even going out to the state house and say giving out your testimony and just learning how these small little things are changing many, many lives. Um, just learning how changing people's um, ideas, say people, these judges or these legislatures, somebody that has authority and making a difference, uh, impacting um, youth future is and going in there and listening, chirping into their ear and kind of literally telling them, this is what the youth want. Um, I'm here to advocate for the youth. Um, it's, it, 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 it turns the job into something more powerful, you could say. And then I would have to say, yes, it all started with Man Inside Out, um, building that confidence and then being able to go and put out the work. My next real serious question, I think it's going to be, going to be more on the closure like because if you guys are staying you guys are working on closing long creek so like what's going to come out of it like if we're going to if we're going to close this 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 place that we're putting you know kids where are kids going to go what's what's the next goal um so right now what long creek is is like it takes it's 18.6 million dollars to have keep long creek running and there's only to this date 20 kids inside and so that's like, I think it's like roughly like, I'm not going to $650,000 per kid to keep them locked up in a juvenile prison. Um, so our goal went like to get the funds out of there and start making programs in the community. Programs to stop before they, like before the crimes that like, get committed or whatever. And like help with school. So like trauma training for counselors in school, make sure there's people listening to these kids. But, like, so they have someone there that, like, what we were talking about earlier is, like, what we didn't have, provide that for them. More money into housing, so there's housing available. More money into jobs for people, like, get, um, just all these different things that it's missing in the community, we need to provide with that. Like, we need to put the money back into the community and have people that have had a previous experience um, be able to run that as well because like like I was saying before is like the people that have the experience are the experts in that and they can be, provide the most help with it and just be able to have voices for youth as well to be able to run the funds but I think the community is different in each way like if, even if we look at Maine each place like Maine is so big like what um place almost near Canada would need is different than southern Maine you know like it's different from the needs of like the different and other things because there's different um, um, kind of climate and other things like in the areas. So um, I think it just collapsed to the community.
Right. And, um, well, thank you for that. And Aiden, uh, going off on that, what do you feel like, uh, would be really, you know, real helpful for the community in your community? Um, I would say I envision, I mean, I see something new. I don't see incarceration. Um, I don't see kids being put in jail or cages. I don't see, um, a prison in general. You know, um, I feel like, I believe that prisons should, shouldn't exist at all. Um, and that starts with Longcrete. You know, that's a little, they say it's a little um, jail, but it's, it's, a prison, it's basically a prison for kids. And um, what that would look like for my community is for every kid that has been there, that is, I guess, in the adulthood now, can finally, like, take that, I would say, Fame that Long Creek has put on them, and finally just peel it off. You know the coat that Long Creek put on this, these youth and this kind of um, um, dark cloud hovering above them. You know throughout their whole future and their whole life. You know I know they say it's um uh you're, 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 once you turn twenty or eighteen your history is uh, refreshed and deleted, but it's not. You know people can still see the things that you did as a youth and how you've been incarcerated and why. Um, people can still see, if you're trying to go to jail, they can still see the diploma that you got from Long Creek Youth Development Center. Um, you're trying to go to um, get a, you're trying to do anything or you have any success throughout Long Creek. It's not giving you success outside of Long Creek. Um, what that would do for my community is that I would take all of those bad things and they would get it off of them. Um, people would have clean lives those histories, I feel like, should also be expunged. How do they say when they get something off of you that you did, like, years ago, and now you're finally getting it off of your history? You know, people will have clear paths to go and succeed in their life. And then what it would do for the kids' parents, you know, it will show them that we don't need youth jails. You know, we need alternatives for kids. We need kids. We need, we, need, we need to have something for kids to do. If we want them to succeed, we need to put them in positions to succeed. And 100%, the place to start is the community, is the homes, is the schools. It's not about getting that one child out of the community. Taking that one kid and putting them somewhere else is not going to change anything. It's not, it's not a progress for anything. That kid's going to come back, and all he's going to remember is being taken out of this community. And now what? He's back in his community to do what? I feel like that's the worst message to send. Right. And and I really I really appreciate you really talking about the history, um, the criminal history in particular, uh, and that and, and there's a, there's a point of like there's aftermath that comes out of Long Creek, right? For example, you know I, I think I made this um, comment before of. You know, when people started smoking cigarettes or whatnot, they never knew the, 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 the causes and the issues and that causes lung cancer, you know, 20, 30 years later. Um, uh, and people really didn't know about what, what incarceration causes, um, at, you know, 20, 30 years later. And, you know, and since, since we have been, been with this, like, level of mass incarceration and, and, you, and the fact that the criminal history, people just think that it's just the incarceration. And we know that criminal history carries over even as a juvenile when you're going to apply for a home or apply for a job or uh, or even have the mental trauma, the PTSD that, that associates with 
all the issues that you've dealt with as a child and through incarceration. Um, and, and we know we know this firsthand. We know this because we've, we've felt this and we, we've noticed this firsthand. But understanding that all of this is harmful, right? All of this is harmful and we need to put a stop to it. And as you said, you know, we don't want to see no more prisons. So that's a, that's a, that's a statement of abolition. But to abolish like if we, if we were going to abolish slavery, absolutely everybody was against it, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Well, there's so there are some people that you know still wanted it, you know, they wanted it for profit, but uh, but you know, morally, everybody was against it. But now with prisons, like we can we really say that you know we want to close down all prisons? Like, what about the bad kids? Like, what about you know those kids that are you know com- that commit serious crimes? What about those bad kids? Um... You get them the help that they need. You know, you sit them down, you ask them, what happened in this situation? What went wrong? What could be different? Um, what could be changed for you um, that, that can help you succeed? Um, I would say abolish and 100%. Once you say abolish, you can't practice it anymore. You know, you can't do it no more. You can't even have the conversation about it anymore. So to say abolishing youth incarceration or prison itself is to find the answers, you know, to stop just ignoring the, the problem that's in front of you or the task that's in front of you. And it's time that holds the, the system accountable where it gets them off the seat where it's like, do your job, you know, do your job. Where it's just saying, taking these kids and putting them in another building and having them, um, you know, um, in cells and lining them up and getting them in order. I feel like that's that's ignoring the big um, problem that we have in front of us, which is um, repeating, saying the crime or going to jail in general, and then um, saying about saying, I would say evaluating this person not as in like what's wrong with you, but as in what can we do as a community to not let this happen again, and. As a community, it takes a lot of different hats to have this conversation. But at the end of the day, it, it falls down to those people in authority. It falls down to their lack of um, what is what is it that we can do. And when you take away the prison or the jail, you can't just ignore your problems and put them away. Now it really comes down to what the community or what the system can do. To avoid this problem. And Sky, would you like to touch upon on on that particular issue? Because I love how Aiden is explaining prevention and removing the 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 whole. You just have an absence of prisons. But Sky, could you touch up on 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 what would happen if if something like this occurred? Um. Yeah. So I just want to say, like, I don't like think there's bad kids. We just have a bad system, and but. In all reality, the system is doing exactly what the system was intended to do. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, so we don't need, like, there's statistics on, like, prisons don't actually fix anything. It's just we're building on punishment. Like, we're just so stuck in this thing of punishment on crimes. But it's just, like, why don't we really look at, like, how can we help? Like, what started? Like, why did this happen? What's going on in the community? maybe the lack of programming, maybe the lack of funds that we're not providing to the community. We really should be putting blame 
on the society in a whole because we're not actually helping anybody. And um, when we, when even that question itself is like when we talk about the bad kids, it's, I don't know, like it's just like, um, like just talking about like saying bad kids is just, I feel like I just get like, right, like, like it's like you're not bad until you do something bad. <laughs> then you bad kid. It's like, yo, what do we do with this bad kid? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's just set up. And especially in like certain communities, like it is set up for failure because like for just things in like, what are the crimes committed for like bad kids? But I don't know. But I think if we can put more money into the communities to help, then you'll really see the crime rate go down. You'll see communities thriving. You'll see kids thriving. You'll see, like there was this question a while back that we got asked. It's like, what would a world without prisons look like? What could you hear? It'd be in the history books. Like when we have our stories that we're sharing now about our experiences, that's all it would be, past experiences that other kids don't have to deal with in the future. That there could be like different sounds on the street other than what's going on right now when I open my window. No sounds of the sirens, no sounds of this. It could just be real people using humanity to help each other heal from like, cause when we're talking about trauma, it comes with generational trauma. And eventually when it's gone, the generational trauma will just be gone. And it'll just be a thought and a story that goes down in the generations from way back. Thank you so much for really envisioning what abolition really looks like. That's a whole transformation and recreating of communities. Um, after they've been spoiled, after they've been, uh, you know, over-policed, over-surveillance, uh, underfunded. There's so many different issues and problems that we see on a daily basis. And I know that's why it drives your work, and I know it drives my work. Um, and and I, I really want to emphasize one point that you said. You said, why? You said, why? Like, why did that happen? Why did that have to, ha- have to happen? Why did the kids have to uh, commit that? Because if you really look at the suburban communities that were um, greatly funded, that were um, given homes at, at really, really low rates, uh, as, as they state in um, the, the, uh, the color of law, and, um, you know, the they grew equity, you know, they grew money, they grew, uh, they, they had, they had leverage so they could invest and, 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 um, create opportunity. And the schools were really nice, private schools and whatnot. So, so why aren't those communities having the same type of crimes that, that lower, lower funded communities are having? Um, and we really do see uh, a cycle of, 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 um, how the system or how the government really had, 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 uh, a point to this. They they put their hands into this and created this. So this is the aftermath um, and understanding that a quarter of this country, a quarter of this country have criminal records. Um, and it's growing vastly every single day. And now that we're talking about youth and like, I think we're, it's insane to really fathom that we are one of the only countries that just takes children away from families and puts them inside of, inside of prisons, inside of dungeons. Um, and, 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 and just to leave them there. But, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go back one more time to, to the communities because I really have a very important factor because it's like, but can we, could, okay, I understand the prison part, but can we leave, like, how do, what do we do about the police? Like, we don't, don't we need the police? Like, don't we need the fact that just to, to, to feel protected, to, um, to make sure that we can have that three numbers that we can call, boom, 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 and they'll be there immediately. 
at your at your very need. Don't we need that, or or what are we going to do about them? Uh, I think so. Though I think the only way we can actually feel safe is by undoing the police and getting rid of prisons and putting those resources back into the community. I think it just goes back down to what was intended by the police in the first place and intended of what prisons were in the first place. I think when we, if we just keep bringing it back, like if we really just dissected that's what it was it's still on punishment like the police do more harm than they do good i don't feel safe whenever i see a cop because of that experiences i've had and a lot of other people have different experiences as well they're not like school resource officers has been a fact in their like in the school that they by them being there it's easier to get arrested in that way instead of actually um doing what there's intended to be like a safety or there to help like the friendly police officer on the block but now in all reality if you're really looking at the real picture that friendly police officer on the block is over there tackling someone for underage drinking or tackling or doing what is like so stupid when you think of it in like the different views of what you would think of crime so when you're talking about back to the bad kids that's what it is it's the police officers doing what they're intended to do, which is not protect themselves. Aiden, do you have anything to like come around to that, like or any type of you know anything you've seen or any type of solutions that would come about when it comes to policing? Um, I would say it's, it goes so it goes like so far. I mean, I would feel I don't feel just like I said like plus because of experience, I don't feel safe on police. But you said, do we need them? I would say no. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, if, say if my house is in danger or um, there's something that is bigger than me or there's a problem that is out of my hands, then yeah, you know, I could use some support and calming things down or settling situations down. But I don't, I don't feel the need to call somebody to put somebody in a cage. Um, it just, it, do, it doesn't make sense. You know, at first, are you there to protect the people or are you guys there to like keep us in order? You know, there's a, it comes a lot of different ways and they're all different. You know, that's why I don't like, I don't like that. Like when they do something, they say not all of us are like this, but I don't see any of you guys doing anything different. You know, it's just like all the experiences I've had with police is just them say they're doing their job, but really they're coming around to somebody in jail you know just because of who you are where you sit where you're from what streets you're on they, they have they have access to so many things that i probably like they could they could be watching you or listening to us right now and we wouldn't know it's just they have so much access to things that i don't feel it's necessary like you're trying to get a criminal or you're trying to catch somebody or a bad person i totally understand but when you're walking around and you have the authority to look into someone's car or you have the authority to pull someone over after the information or you have the right to pull someone over to take their picture, take it to your office, hang it up on your wall. I'm like, um, okay, that doesn't make sense. You know, you're, you're using your authority and power. I feel like they have that badge because they're after something. I mean, you don't just want to enforce the law because it's, I don't, because it's, it's, it's um 
something that people see as a superhero. I mean, this is, I don't know, you gotta, you gotta be a certain attitude, or you gotta be built a certain way to want to uphold the law to make sure people are doing the right thing. And in order to do that, you gotta pick and choose what's right and wrong. And I feel like that's, that's, I, we don't really need police. I mean, unless there's a, the world's over and there's a whole attack. But other than that, I don't see why I need you and your job in general. And I love how you said it so far. Um, so far back that the original reason why police officers were created in the South were for hunting um, runaway slaves and they were, they were created in the North for uh, protecting the, the rich. And, and, and that's the point, protecting who? Right, protecting who and protecting what? Because if we really want to call police officers to how they say they're law enforcement or they're here to, for safety, they're actually order maintenance. They're here for to 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 to, to maintain order, um, and they pick and choose. It's all by their personal jurisdictions. They're single as singular people, and and we and we see how the climate is right now. We see um, the effects of of what's happening, and you know, a fifteen year old girl got shot. A uh, 13-year-old boy in Chicago uh, put his hands up. He got shot. A 19-year-old, I would say, damn near boy that um, got got shot from from running to trying to get away after they say they arrest him. And, and understanding that that that's what you result to, like that's what you result to. We understand that people have mental health issues. There's trauma. It's extreme trauma. And I am saying this as a as a as a black individual. This is an extreme trauma. I'm ever even riding in a vehicle. Um, and by the day, I just, the second I step out of my house, it's just like, you know, there's a risk. There's a, there's a, there's a huge chance that I might not come back. Uh, it, whether it's, it's, it's due to incarceration or it's due to um, murder or anything like that. So in understanding that cops only really get like 800 hours of training, only 800 hours of training, and they're actually trained to kill. So now we have militant type of vehicles and this, and this militia type of, a group and force, and now we we see the aftermath of it. We see millions of people incarcerated. We see kids that are being shot, black men that are being stomped over, and saying that it's bad apples. And that's my point, Aiden. I I love how you said, I love how you said. But where are the good? Where are the good apples? Where are they? Right? If this system, this whole system, has been built and and, and has been harming people of color and marginalized communities. And this is just a result of, of, of what's happening. We have the most police um, by, by ratio um, per capita in, in the, in, over the world. And we see the issues. We don't see, we don't see a solution to, to the police. And they try to put it on as public safety when it's really not public safety, it's public harm. Um, so, you know, and I've been doing a little bit of work around this, um, so specifically for the rate in the race and equity committee, and um, and we passed the first uh, proposal in the state around police reform, and and I'll tell you what, there we we see a great end to it, but we see a very very far long, harmful, painful, um, and lots of death that's going to come out of this um, until people realize what what we have caused and um, and what abolition really means to transform. And to make America, you know, the, the place where we can thrive and, and a place where the whole world can take a look at. But that really starts off with with the people that are listening today, the people that um, are wondering what what's going on. 
we have to reimagine and rethink and re, you know, restructure our brains from what we were taught to really think that police and prison is the way to go and we can uh, invest in education and mental health and, and healing and support. And I really want to first off thank Aiden Sky for coming on uh, to, to this podcast. Um, is there anything else that you guys would like to touch upon um, specifically to the juvenile justice or anything? Um, yeah. Um, well, thank you again for having me come on today. And I just want to say, I like a vision, like a society that makes it possible to live with each other and to have lives, education, jobs, and to decriminalize a lot of the currently criminalized things will make the society what it's intended to be. Like, that's like, I guess, like the abolition when I'm thinking about abolition, it's like the basic level is having a world with without carceral institutions like prison jails and police. So I just like, when I was like thinking about the vision, but um, again, thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much, Sky. And Aiden, any, any last words? Yeah, um, thank you guys. Um, I mean, for all those people that um, don't want to see anything different, I mean, I would just say, what's wrong with change? You know, what's wrong with different? What's wrong with the world not being the same again? You know, what's wrong with that? And, I guess I'm just going to say, try it out. Try to be different. You know, try to think different tomorrow when you wake up. And that's about it. And thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Sky. Thank you, Aiden. What a powerful, inspiring conversation. Let's try something different. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful way to uh, to conclude. What 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 fantastic thinking. Thanks so much for sharing your experiences, your deep wisdom, uh, your planning, your visions of the future. Please join us for next week's episode, a conversation about decolonizing incarceration. That episode's going to be moderated by Chris Newell, the executive director and senior partner with Wabanaki Nations of the Abbey Museum. And Chris is going to be joined by Maria Gerard of Wabanaki Reach and other guests. This episode and future episodes are all available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, the Freedom and Captivity Podcast, and the Portland Media Center website. We are so grateful to the Portland Media Center for sponsoring this podcast series, to Joss Riddle, the sound engineer, and to Samuel James, whose music opens and closes each episode. See you next week. Thank you.